This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, and I am your host, Alexandria. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS Pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct health care advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. Today on episode six, we are speaking with Andrew Hartman, who has had a lifetime of experience dealing with chronic pain. Andrew is currently a doctoral student in psychology at the University of Saskatchewan, as well as a certified health and wellness coach through their business, SciSTEM, which is an organization that helps individuals on pain journeys through various services. Andrew is currently living with ankylosing spondylitis, that is a mouthful, And today they provide us with some incredible insight about perseverance and transformation as a result of your chronic condition. And they also teach us all about the spoon theory of chronic pain, which is probably one of the best analogies for approaching pain management that I have ever come across. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for being on Your Partners in Pain today. I just want to jump right in. And wanted to ask, can you explain to listeners who may not know, what is the chronic pain condition you are living with and what is living with it like? Yeah, for sure. So I have ankylosing spondylitis, which is like a mouthful and hard to spell, um, but I'm a pro at spelling it now. Uh, it is a type of kind of global inflammation that your body experiences, but it tends to be uh, located mostly in the spine and other joints. Uh, So the days really feel like a lot of just sluggishness, like a sloth. Yeah, a lot of information. The more that I kind of you stay still, uh, it actually kind of activates more pain and more inflammation. And so it's kind of I have to make sure every like 45 minutes I'm getting up, I'm moving, I'm readjusting, I'm bending, I'm stretching. Uh, And I've learned that like if I keep a good practice of that, like it's been so much more manageable to get to this point. But yeah, it was... uh, It's interesting. Yeah, no kidding. And it's always difficult when somebody receives not a very well-recognized or common diagnosis that just makes the whole management of it and even just getting diagnosed so difficult. So I can totally sympathize there. Yeah, I actually think it's the average time to get diagnosed with AS is uh, seven to 10 years. Wow, long time. So yeah, it's a... Fun time. 
So speaking of that, can you tell us a little bit about your personal story? What was your life like prior to being diagnosed and how long did it take you to get a diagnosis as well? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So my my father has uh, AS and there's a genetic component to the disease uh, and it tends to be more common like when a male passes down to like another male. And so there was a likelihood that I had the disease. Um, so when we look back, like as a kid, I was always very active. I did karate and bowling. I competed nationally. Like it was like, I was very active, but I did get to a point as my teens, I did start to get a lot of like foot issues and I got like really bad plantar fasciitis and then tendonitis and all these things. And I started going to things and people didn't really know why. Um, so they're trying orthotics. It didn't really fix anything. And so it started really early but it was just like a thing that I just pushed past it. Like there, everyone said like, oh, just push past the pain. Like it probably growing pains. It's probably this. And then as I grew up, like I was in university and then I had to drop out of karate because uh, it was just like too much. And then I shifted to like volleyball, I think, and then ballroom dancing. Uh, and I took up singing because it's something I always wanted to do. So when I gave up karate, I was like, oh, let's do something. I always wanted to do that. Um, and I was like, not good at it. And so I took singing lessons and, uh, it was like, it was a journey. It was, I was so nervous. Uh, and now I can sing and it was something, yeah, just conquering that, like giving myself, I think a bit of agency of what I was losing and I can do more other things. And so as I've grown up and like throughout, like then eventually I, I couldn't do volleyball. That was too much. I took curling instead at like, when I was at like 25, I think. Um, and then, uh, when I was like 29, that was, again, it got to a point where my body was declining and like, I was getting more inflammation and other pain and we didn't, I didn't really know what it was. Like, it, I just kind of like was getting more tired and it just slowly declined. And it wasn't until the pandemic when I got really sick, uh, that I was like, something's going on. And then it took about eight to 10 months of me being like bedridden for me to actually finally get to the right door that, uh, of getting diagnosed. And I actually had a, so I had a rheumatologist who I was seeing for probably three to four years before the right door. Uh, and they said, I didn't have a yes. And they had run all the tests and they said that I didn't have it. And when I got to the right door, um, who was also a rheumatologist and he was lovely. He was the best, uh, he was actually diagnosed me based on tests that I had already had done. That he's like, I can already diagnose you because I can tell that like, this was so bad this time, it wouldn't have gotten any better that you like, I could have diagnosed you back then. And so that was really frustrating that it wasn't with, with the other doctor with her. She uh, wasn't that I wasn't, I didn't have it. It was more like I wasn't sick enough. Yeah, I feel like, unfortunately, that is a common experience with a lot of people who have any chronic pain conditions. And that just goes to show how important it is also to see multiple people. If you aren't happy with the care that you are receiving and you know you aren't doing well, you have to just advocate for yourself and see someone else. Because as you said, a different set of eyes on the same set of tests can have a wildly different outcome, which is unfortunate, but you know, people and bodies are complicated. So it's all a process. Yeah. It was actually interesting because I, and I won't name names, but like 
uh, one of my friends, uh, their partner um, is a physician. And then when I was really sick and so he asked his partner like, oh, this is Andrew's specialist. And then the partner said like, tell Andrew to actually go get a new doctor uh, because of the reputation of the individual that like they were actually concerned that I was like, you could actually be really sick. And I was really sick. Uh, like get a, you should get a referral to a new specialist. And uh, when I even saw my new specialist and I made a reference to the old one, like he didn't say anything, but his face said everything of that. He was like really glad I fell into like his hands. Yeah. That's tough. It's like when you're trying to navigate your own care and there's limited people that you can see trying to figure out who to trust, who not to, and just having that self-trust as well, right. To keep pursuing. Cause I do think a lot of people will see someone and they go, Oh, well, the doctor said it's not this. And then they kind of just let it go. And I know in my own experience, I had to see seven people before the one person said, no, you've had this all along. I don't know why they couldn't figure it out. So it's tough to hear, but it's a common experience for pain patients, I feel like. Yeah. And that's why I'm really like excited for this episode and all the episodes of like sharing those stories around perseverance and advocating for ourselves because it's so important. And we get gaslit so much by healthcare providers of this is just your life or this is just your fate. You're just supposed to live like this for the rest of your life. And you want to take your shoe and throw it at them when they leave the room. Yeah. Well, and I want to get to that as we keep going, but I'm going to pause you quick because we are absolutely going to get into like more of those internal things that perseverance and like things that we can help to do to manage, which aren't always up to healthcare providers. There's so many things that we can do for ourselves, but since you did get that diagnosis, are there still major challenges that you're dealing with now because of your condition? Just kind of walk us through how you went from, you were basically debilitated to now I know you're functioning well and thriving pretty darn good. So I just want to hear some more about it. Yeah. So if we look like a year ago from like today, uh, I was still bedridden. I was still throwing up every day from pain. I was still, I was getting malnourished. Uh, yeah, life was just awful. I cried a lot. Um, I couldn't go up like a flight of stairs. Uh, it would like wind me. I would, like my body was just like deteriorating from not being able to move to uh, last week or two weeks ago, I purchased an exercise bike uh, that, and I, I take, I live on the fifth floor and I walk up all five flights of stairs now and down to like the fact of how much a year, like you can go from thinking like, I think I might be dying to getting the right doctor on the right medications, having the right physio and all these healthcare things to where now, like, I still have to manage it every day, but like my life isn't terrible. Like I still am aware of my illness every day, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make life impossible. It's just something that I work with every day and that I'm making sure I'm moving. Like I said, I, I'm having a good diet to help prevent with inflammation. I uh, drink lots of water. I take my new medication. I'm on a biologic. So I take that once a month. Um, yeah, doing I really manage my stress because my stress is a big trigger for my inflammation that I learned. So it's more so it's like I know now how to keep myself healthy so that way I could have a nice, fun, healthy lifestyle. Absolutely. And I think this is like probably our biggest ongoing theme throughout all the episodes is that 
one therapy or treatment approach that works for one person is not going to work for somebody else, which is what's so beautiful about having people on here who are willing to be honest and share their story so that it might also give people new ideas for unique ways to approach things. So speaking to that, you just mentioned some of the things that you have found helpful um, in your current everyday life that is helping you manage. But can you speak um, more specifically, was there one big thing that was really a turning point for you that you started to feel more safe and comfortable in your body and you weren't really in that panic mode of feeling like you were in unbearable pain every day? So there was never a moment, but there was a process of like, I actually worked uh, so with Adrian Van Gogh from Van Gogh Wellness, who is my savior, who helped me when I was at my lowest uh, and going to a physiotherapist, people like I actually worked a lot on breathing um, and finding safety in my body was a lot of what we did was about calming my nervous system down, about regaining control. So my fight or flight wasn't always kicking off. Um, about when I was in a flare, how do I regain that control to help it from escalating off and that I can like taper it down and then slowly rebuild. And so it was something of like that repeated visits with her. Like at one point, I think I was seeing her every week. Then I went to every two and then it was like three, four. Now I think it's like every two months I'll go and see her. Uh, but it was like that process of really practicing breathing. Breathing was huge. Breathing was huge. Uh, which if I would have someone said that to me when I was at my lowest, I would have like punched him in the face. I would have been like, don't tell me just to breathe. And it's like, then you get to like, wow, breathing's like life. Uh, that breathing has been huge uh, and movement has been huge for me. Uh, and I know that's, that's a huge thing that we think, especially when we have chronic pain, like I should be still, I should be taking care of it. But really movement is so important and not like running a marathon, but like whether that's a small dance party or it's uh walking around your apartment. Like I got a cat, uh, a Maine Coon, and he was a kitten. And he was really good for me as well because he required me to play with him. And I didn't want to move, but I wanted to move for him. And like, he would get me and I would like chase him around a little bit and that would get me moving. And it was like so good for my health that, uh, cause I didn't, I had no motivation to move. Um, and, uh, another thing is a lot of my friends, when they come over or visit or family, they'll ask, like, do you want to go for a walk? Because they all know I'm terrible at going for a walk for myself, but I'm more than willing to do it with someone else. And so I think, yeah, having support who like just help with facilitating these really good practices in your life. And I think that's a really important word. That's a practice and you'll fall away from it and that's okay. And then you'll bring it back and then things will get better again. And then it falls out. You think you don't need them anymore. And you just go through that routine over and over and over again. Yeah. I feel like that will resonate with a lot of people where we try something for a little bit. Oh, I'm feeling better off the wagon immediately. But speaking to a couple of your points you made there, I know our SAS pain uh, following audience base, having pets and animal support in your life is such a huge, important thing for so many people. That's my area specialty that I research. So having my dog also absolutely helped me get out of bed when I felt like I couldn't, when I knew I needed to exercise, going for that walk because I felt bad if I didn't walk my dog. Maybe I didn't care about myself so much, but you want to do nice things for your pets. And as well, um, speaking to Adrian, she also has an incredible podcast. I might actually include that in our show note links as well. But I think you kind of brought up an interesting point where a lot of times people will say, oh, you just need to deep breathe. You just need to do yoga. And it 
people have a very strong reaction to that when they get it, but there is absolutely truth and so much evidence behind what can happen when you do deep breathing and get into gentle movements, which are both the core of yoga, right? So it's really nice to see that you found a practitioner locally that you can connect with and maybe somebody else will be able to visit with her too. And I think that was something that was really important because uh, in my experience with her was that, because I've had that before, even seeing a doctor about anxiety and they're like, have you tried yoga or like deep breathing? I'm like, well, of course I have. And I do like, uh, but with Adrian, it was that we did it. It wasn't like, it was like, you should do this. We did it in the moment and did it together. And then I felt better. And then she's like, oh, how do you feel? I'm like, oh, I actually feel better. And I think that process is so important and was so beneficial is that like actually having your provider. So if there's any providers listening there, like doing that with your, the person you're working with to really help like them see it and help with in that, that moment of motivation of like, oh, do they see it get better? And then like, that will help them with actually bringing that into their practice rather than kind of feeling like they're getting pushed aside. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like having that person right there beside you is so important because sometimes you will go to a physiotherapist and they'll, they'll give you pictures of, oh, do this move and then do this move, but they don't do it with you. They don't walk it through with you. And I just feel like it's so much more empowering and supportive if they're doing the same. So hundred percent agree. Yeah. And Andrew, I know because of your experiences, you've started getting more personally involved and interested and invested in pain on a professional level and even do some more advocacy work around that. So can you share more about that with us? Yeah. So um, I guess, yeah, in this past year, which is like looking back, it's like the most bizarre thought. It was when I was like super sick, I was like, I'm going to start a business while I can like barely like cook my own meals and it was a great idea, uh, a lot of passion behind it, uh, but I created a business called System, which is a virtual health and wellness space to provide affirming care to folks. Uh, and the, this idea came from, uh, it was when I was at my low and during COVID and I went to the ER uh, and I just wanted a referral to a new specialist. This was before I got diagnosed and uh, I just wanted that. I just wanted support. I hadn't slept for three days. I was like exhausted. I hadn't ate because I was throwing up. I couldn't keep anything down. So my friend was getting really worried and said, I'm taking you to the ER. So they took me to the ER and it was an awful experience. Uh, the doctor didn't listen to me. I got lectured on the fact that opioids were probably making my pain worse, which isn't wrong, but it also didn't help me in the actual moments and suffering I was experiencing. Uh, and so, uh, not only that, I asked him for a referral and I said, don't send me to my actual doctor, my actual specialist. Like they're not helping. Like I'm getting worse. They're not paying attention to me. And he did, he did exactly what we had. He went against my consent of what I said was acceptable. And he went and said, I sent a letter to your other doctor. Um, she never reached out from it. Uh, and, um, Oh, the other thing was also my GP had gone AWOL. <laughs> so I was like literally without like any care. It was awful. Uh, so I left that the ER and I just thought there has to be a better way. There has to be something, a way of working and supporting with people that doesn't have to be like this. And that's when I uh, had the idea and inspiration for system and what it could mean around walking with and being with people along their health and this journey. So they're not alone. So they have that support. And I found uh, health and wellness coaching as like this kind of vehicle to do this work 
And then I found a specific training that was on chronic pain management. And I was like, what, this is the thing. And then I took the training and I took another training. And while I was also like learning these things, I was applying it to my own life. And I was also seeing the benefits. I was like, oh, this actually works. Like I actually believe in this process because I'm going through it. Uh, and so, yeah, so now I, I, we've grown to, I have a few staff and uh, another coach uh, and I've had great success with my clients. And like, it's been really, cause we're all about listening. Like that's the one thing I tell like the coaches I'm training, like if someone leaves here, I want, if there's one thing I want them to know is that they were heard and that they were making steps towards what they needed and that we're helping them towards that because there's so much wisdom in people. And so it's been, yeah, such a fulfilling and unique way of how I've came to here and how it's my business is helping others, but also helped me so much and inspired me to like keep going forwards um, to a point now where we, yeah, help people, which is just, my brain has trouble comprehending that sometimes. That is such a cool story. And one of my favorite reasons of being able to like come on here and talk to people just like you, Andrew, is because people are finding so many unique ways to take their absolutely horrible pain experience that for a lot of people is suicide inducing. And you're able to get to a point where you can take it and make it into something that's like productive and innovative and also helping other people. So thank you so much. That is the coolest. And I am going to absolutely include some more information about it um, in our show notes. But as you were going there, you were kind of getting into things to tell uh, care providers and things to tell patients, like in terms of wanting people to feel heard and seen and validated. So from your own patient perspective, what do you wish you could say to clinicians who are treating pain? I think uh, oh, that the pain is real, that they really need to understand the pain is real. There is something that's going on. Uh, and I'm you need to get past your own ego if you can't help them and help them get connected to the person that can. Uh, and that's a really like what I see in a lot of healthcare provider and specifically physicians uh, is that if they don't have the answer, the fact that it's like, that's the reason why there are specialists and all these other things that like uh, to connect with and partner with, and they need to be more prepared to do that, especially if it's something that uh, you've tried treatment with treatments with and it hasn't worked that uh, the patient shouldn't be suffering from the weight of your ego and how much it's coming forward. That absolutely makes perfect sense. And I would agree. But on the flip side, do you have anything you would like to say to a patient, maybe somebody who's just been diagnosed and are maybe feeling a bit overwhelmed? Oh yeah, it sucks. And I'm so sorry. And like that it actually sucks and it's actually the worst and that it's okay and like to sit in that for a while and to grieve like that process of grieving uh the life that you you had and what it was going to be is like very healthy and very good um and that that creates space also for the dreaming of what your new life will be as you move forward that is going to look just as beautiful um and that you're gaining so much wisdom too uh, throughout this experience that is uh, often within society not valuable, but is like so is going to help others when you're just holding space with someone else and say, I get it. Um, and that, yeah, I'm sorry that you're there, but uh, 
it will get better and make sure like believe in yourself. It is real uh, and fight for yourself or ask someone your support network to help fight for you if you can't, if your energy is too low. Yeah. And that social support piece, I feel like there's a pretty common thread with a lot of people that I know personally who suffer from chronic pain where they feel like they aren't able to ask for help for other people, um, whether it's they are too exhausted or they just feel like they don't want to burden someone else with what they're experiencing. But it is so important for people who are living with pain to try to utilize in any way you can uh, the different supports around you. And if you don't have immediate family members or a pet or a strong healthcare provider who really advocates for you and helps you, there are other options. And we do have some of those resources on the Sask Pain website. And we do also have the Partners in Pain webinar series, which we spoke about in our last episode, episode five, which is really a space for providing um, that solidarity and support as well as education and management tools. And I'm sure Andrew probably also has some amazing resources. So if I link SciSTEM in the podcast and in the show notes, hopefully Andrew can direct you to some good places as well. Yeah, if I could actually speak on this first, just because my master's thesis was on shame and help seeking and... uh, which is fascinating. And like one of the big things I know from my research is like, there's a big fear of being judged or being looked at differently, being less looked at less abled. And that uh, from my own experience of reaching out for help, like waiting way too long to a point I should have reached out like three months before. And I finally did Uh, just because you are, you have become differently abled doesn't mean you're, not able at anything. And so I learned that there were things that took way too many spoons out of my, uh, out of my like capacity. Um, and I was able to do other things. And so like knowing that, uh, your experience doesn't define you, that this is one moment and that I hope as a society, we can lean on each other and know that, uh, it's okay to take that in, that love in, and at one day you'll be able to give it back. It might not be the same way, but you will be able to give it back in some way. That's beautiful. And I agree hundred percent. Andrew, as you were talking there, you mentioned something that made me laugh a little bit because I'm not sure if I had ever heard that before, but um, you were making a reference to a spoon and like too many spoons and not having the capacity to do certain things. I'm just, can you just walk us through? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's such a good question. So uh, we actually did an Instagram post on this that's available. So if you check out our Instagram, you'll see it at Sistem. Um, But so there's a concept called spoon theory. It was developed by uh, Christine. And I'm sorry if Christine ever hears this. Uh, her last name is Miserandino uh, back in 2003. And so she was trying to explain to her friend about the concept of uh, what's it like living with lupus, I think, but it relates to really any chronic illness um, and how it affects someone in their daily life. So what she did was she like went and she grabbed like these spoons and she said like, okay, like this is how many spoons I have in a day. And on some days, like, and she would explain like a task, like getting, taking a shower and then getting jest and like naming these things would take out spoons. And then eventually she would have like no spoons and like the day wasn't done. So what do you do? Either you are not able to do the rest of the task 
task that day, or else you have to go dip into your like spoon overdrive. And that takes away from the next day. And then we see that it's an actual uh, thing. It's called the over under doing cycle as well. Whereas people with chronic pain, we kind of will overdo and then we have to rest and then we get better and then we overdo and we can get into the cycle. And so the spoon theory, theory really acts as this beautiful way of helping illustrate and think about our capacity and that uh, everyone's spoon's capacity is different. And even with your own illness, uh, on a given day, it might be different or depending if you're in a flare-up or um, things are a little bit calmer one day uh, and some conditions like mine is kind of like rolling the dice every morning of I don't know how many spoons I'm going to get, uh, depends on a lot of different factors. Uh, but it's a way of also really uh, thinking about our capacity too with like, this is how many spoons I have. Uh, how do I want to use them? Uh, and uh, not everyone has the financial capacity to do this, but sometimes it also looks like uh, maybe like, do I need to hire a cleaner to come in every once in a while to do certain things? Cause like that takes too many spoons from me. Um, or maybe it's a relative who comes out and helps with you or uh, a friend, family, like they're making a casserole and they make you an extra one and like you pay for your share of ingredients, whatever that looks like but also using ways to kind of uh, help meet some of your needs that don't take away from your spoons and bring in that support to really improve uh, your capacity. And so these are some of the fun ways like at SISO we like to work with people and help bring in new knowledge or new ways of thinking that can help empower people um, to do what they do. Uh, yeah, just think differently and get these new tools or strategies that help them towards where they want to go. That is probably one of the coolest things I've heard to explain someone's capacity and a way to help manage and approach their own chronic pain. And it's quite similar in a lot of ways to um, pacing, which I'm sure a lot of chronic pain patients have heard where, you know, you're supposed to pace and make sure you don't overdo it. But in my opinion, talking about spoons is a way better way to frame that. So thank you for sharing that with us, Andrew. And since we're just wrapping up here, would you like to mention anything else that we haven't discussed today? Uh, oh, let me think here. I, there is um, just related to chronic pain in general and another episode might have, but like also that uh, our brains are neuroplastic. They, they're constantly changing and evolving and that our pain uh kind of can spiral and get worse and get louder. Um, and we're kind of like, how did I get to this point? But also that the reverse can be true, that as we start to either get on the right medication, change some lifestyle behaviors or find other treatments, we can rewire that brain and kind of quieten that and get to a place that's coming uh, where we're able to incorporate more. And we have to kind of rebuild ourselves a little bit. Like I'm at that point now where I'm like, I just start doing exercise again and like I never thought I was going to get here again and it's like exhausting and even thinking about it but like it's so good for me and I need to start building up my like capacity and my endurance uh and that yeah you'll eventually like when you start even like you'll get to a point where like you're so tired and then like you're getting better and then you're going to be tired again and you're going to be doing new things or you're like oh I want to be able to go out with friends and I had to build up this endurance um or like i actually had a really amazing doctor appointment last week uh 
and I'm reducing some of my opioid medications. I'm starting to work on weaning off my opioid medication, which is really exciting uh, and something I was really concerned that would never become a thing. And so I'm really excited to, yeah, be able to work on that. But that just, yeah, it's such a process and it comes from just so many small steps. Like there is no silver bullet. I always say there are just like, a thousand silver bullets and they're just small things that will, this will take 0.25 off your pain. This will take 0.25. And then you just slowly kind of get to a point where you're like, I don't know how I got here. Like I was so like, at first I was so low and I didn't know how I got there. And now I'm like, actually like a a little bit higher and more energetic than there. And that, uh, and you'll fall down a bit and you'll get up, but just, yeah, there is this process of, uh, you're constantly moving forward, even sometimes that you don't feel like it. For sure. And I really feel like, Andrew, you are a perfect example of neuroplastic, like what happens when you put in the work and try to make active changes because pain doesn't have to be permanent forever. There's so many things that we can do, ways we can improve our wellness. And just you sharing your entire transition with us is a testament to that, to see how we can go from completely debilitated to really thriving and doing well. So I just want to thank you so much for your honesty and your candor and sharing your story with us today. But because this is a Saskatchewan based podcast, would you be willing to share one of your favorite things about living in Saskatchewan or just anything you really love about the province? Uh, yeah, but I'm going to add one quick thing. And, uh, as I was thinking, I also really want to illustrate to people that like, literally I was crying every day from pain. I thought, I thought I was going to die. Like I was like, I was literally in the worst place I've ever been in my life. I never thought I could imagine. And to where I am now, like it's so night and day. I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not on that path anymore. But I just, yeah, I really want people because to know that I really feel with you if you're in that, that heavy space right now. Uh, and my favorite thing though, to switch to a more positive note of Saskatchewan is I grew up on a farm. So I love like the rolling hills, like in like harvest time when the wheat's going and you see like the skyline to the sky and it's kind of moving and you see the clouds, like the picturesqueness. Like I see people who they say Saskatchewan's boring. And I just, I think our landscape is beautiful. Uh, and I, I think they don't really understand it because they're not connected to the land. And so Yeah, for me, that's like my favorite part of Saskatchewan. You just took me back to my childhood farm right there. I'm from Keniston and grew up on a grain farm. So I totally, I could see that perfectly. And I'm sure so many other people have a rural upbringing and they will totally get that. So thank you again, Andrew, for joining us on Your Partners in Pain today. And I know a lot of people are going to find so much enormous value and all the information that you've provided. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I hope to talk to people someday. Thank you once again to Andrew Hartman for joining us today, where they shared their journey managing ankylosing spondylitis. I really just wanted to try saying that again, as it is a really tough word. And when you see how it is spelled, you will totally understand. Some of the resources we spoke about today, such as the spoon theory can be found on SciStem's social media pages, which I will provide links to in the show notes, or you can visit the website at SciStem.ca. That is spelled P-S-Y-S-T-E-M.ca. Thanks to everyone for listening. 
This will be our last episode before 2022, and we look forward to speaking with you in the new year. Thank you for listening to Your Partners in Pain, a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain. Funding for this podcast was provided by the Saskatchewan Community Initiatives Fund and the Saskatchewan Pain Society. For more information about our organization or to find additional resources, please find us on social media at SASPain or visit our official website, www.saskpain.ca. Thank you.